Well, good morning again. Uh, those of you joining us online, thanks for joining us and being with us today uh, online. Uh, but here in this room, if you've got your Bibles, I hope you do, Matthew 19. Matthew 19, you know, each week, uh, the last few weeks, I just need to say thank you. The, it's been a, uh, a heavy dose of God's Word to us the last few weeks. Uh, just a weightiness to those that are wondering or confronting sin. But even, you know, last week, uh, talking about forgiveness and forgiving those that have uh, repeatedly offended you or sinned against you. Those are not easy things to look at. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, as we come into this week, be something way lighter, something really easy, kind of uh, lighten the mood a little bit for us in the text. But when I started studying again, uh, Matthew 19, there's the topics that he brings out. There's gender, there's marriage, divorce, singleness, and children. I mean, all of this is in the text today. And I thought, man, there's not even Abby here to filter any of this message. So this is me unfiltered, all right? Nobody else to really dialogue with uh, this week. So in 1939, C.S. Lewis, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he made this comment. Uh, he created this dialogue between junior devil and senior devil. And junior devil says to senior devil, junior devil says, what is the plan again? What, what is the plan? And the senior devil looks at junior devil and he says, the plan is very simple. The plan is simply this. We will create so much noise that they cannot hear the voice of God. Now that was some 80 years ago and you might even say this prophecy was fulfilled. In our culture today, when it comes to things like gender, and marriage, divorce, what it means to be single, and even children, that there is a tremendous amount of noise being projected into our eardrums. Our ears are, in fact, probably overfilled with information and dialogue and debate and things that even our culture is saying is acceptable and we're supposed to go along with it and it creates all kinds of maybe even anxiety for us to one degree because there's so much information and here's, here's where I want to cut to the straight just a little bit this morning is to say this is why we need this book. Because what Jesus will do for us today is he'll cut through all the noise and he'll speak clearly. So my hope today is to just speak clearly and plainly with you today, and that you and I would show grace towards everyone because all five of these areas have affected all of us. So let's look at our Bibles in Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to be in the first 15 verses today, but if you're there, will you say word? When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read? He replied. He who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, the man will leave his father and his mother and the two and jo be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When then, why then, they asked, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. 
I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man and his, with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. They were on to something. He responded, not everyone can accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mom, mother's womb. There, there are eunuchs who are made by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. Verse 13. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, leave the little children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After placing his hands on them, he went on from there. Gender, marriage, divorce, singleness, and kids all wrapped up in these 15 verses. An easy task for anybody to take on, but in a world that's full of so much noise, it be, has become clear over these last days that, particularly with gender, the question is posed, is gender clear or is it confused? Is gender clear or is it confused? And so, I don't know any preacher would say, hey, let's just talk about these things, but when it comes out in our text, we've got to bear out these things. See, Jesus had been doing some work and ministry, and then all of a sudden the Pharisees come and they have a question about divorce. And so primarily this text is about divorce. But in this text on divorce, Jesus is going to answer with an addressing on gender and on marriage before he answers their question about divorce. And our culture has become very faux pas, if you will. It's become kind of one of those things where you've just got to accept it because uh, the culture has shifted the definition of gender from biology to psychology. The culture has shifted the definition on gender from biology to psychology, meaning you, you just, whatever you feel like, that's what you can be, whatever kind of gender you want. So if you go online, because the internet never lies, and say, well, how many genders are there in 2023? You will come up with lots of different answers. In fact, I found one website, it had listed 72 different genders. Piers Morgan, I can't believe I'm quoting Piers Morgan today. <laughs> but he was debating with somebody online, and he, he said, well, I've got a list of over 200 genders that people are claiming to have. But let me just tell you something. The Bible says that gender is not confused. It's very clear. Look what he says in verse 5, I mean, uh, verse 4, excuse me. He created them male and female. Je Jesus comes really clearly. He actually goes back to, you, that's all right. Jesus goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. He doesn't go back to what everybody was thinking that day because when the question comes about how many genders are there, so many of us will say, well, there's just a lot of issues going on. A lot of people have uh, problems. And that is true. Why do we have problems? The fall is why we have problems. Why is there such confusion? Because we're living in an unideal world. It's fallen. It's broken. It's not the way God had originally intended. But Jesus is going to answer their question about marriage by first addressing to say, hey, when God created everything, he created male and he created female. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it's in the emphatic, emphatic position, meaning that it wasn't up for debate. They didn't get created and go, well, I don't know what I am. What am I? They knew male and they knew female. There weren't spare parts. There were spare ribs, but there weren't spare parts. 
And so here we find very clearly that the Bible's going to cut through all that noise and say, hey, when it comes to the question of gender, there are two genders. Now, this comes with all kinds of different questions now because you begin to maybe ask, well, is that really true? Is that even possible? And what if your work employer requires you to list out what your preferred pronouns are? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you are being confronted with somebody who says, well, I prefer to be called this over that, and this is my preferred pronoun, and you have to submit to what I have to say. Well, you don't have to submit to that. And I know there's lots of nuance, and there's lots of debates, and I know that this might come across. I'm not trying to be rude, trying to be grace-filled. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you what Jesus has said. When it comes to gender, it is not confused. It is clear. Here's what God has said. God has said, God has said that there are male and female, and that's it. I saw on Amazon a shirt that said, you know, pick whatever gender you want, but then when you went to go pick out the sizes of the shirts, it said, do you want a female shirt or do you want a male shirt? <laughs> and we know that there's logical fallacies when it comes to kind of pick whatever you want because the list would be endless and it actually would lead us into a madness. So there's two genders, not sexless. You also need to know that when God made man and woman, he also made them in his image. This is why every person has value. And when people in our world today are confused about this, we, don't, we shouldn't get angry at them. We should feel compassion for them. When people are walking confused, we, we shouldn't get angry and want to kick them or, get, or, or yell at them, even online in all caps. But rather, you, you have compassion to say, look, this world is broken the grace and forgiveness of Jesus is real. God has made clear, and you shouldn't have to feel like you've got to back down to that. Don't capitulate to the culture when they're shifting the definition, it seems, every two and a half minutes. But again, he was asked about divorce, so he answers the question about gender, but let's talk about the meaning of marriage. What is the meaning of marriage? He begins to answer it in the next verse. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined, or be cleaved. It's not a word we really use this day, but joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, this is important for us because this idea of leaving and cleaving is the idea of, of joining together or, or uh, this idea of soldering or cementing two individuals. Now, Adam didn't really, and Eve didn't really have a father and mother to leave, Right? And they were created. By the way, if, if you can tell me how do you interpret the first eight chapters of Genesis, I can tell you everything about your theology. If you think Adam and Eve just kind of evolved over thousands or millions of years into what they were at that point, then I don't know if you're actually reading the way I would encourage you to read Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But Adam and Eve were created. They didn't have a father and they didn't have a, a mother, but he's giving this future projection of how, what you and I should do when we get married. We are to leave our father and mother and be joined to our spouse. This means your spouse, in my case, my wife, takes precedent over my work. Now, it's dangerous when the pastor, his stability comes from y'all. My wife is to take precedent over my work. And how many ministers have gotten in trouble because they've made work over their spouse? Uh, my wife should take precedent over my hobbies. My wife should take precedent over my children. 
So many marriages are in a kind of a quagmire right now because they have prioritized their children above their spouse. Let me just tell you something. The safest place for your children to be is in a home where, they're, where they know for a fact their daddy loves their mommy much. And this imbalance happens when we are cleaving ourselves to our children rather than when we're cleaving ourselves to our spouse. I love my children. I'm so grateful for them. I'm glad they're not in here right now. But I love my kids. We've had some excellent times these last seven days where mom's been away. It's been a glorious time about 82% of the time. It's been wonderful. But I'm not cleaved to them. See, God's the one who defines marriage. I, I know that our definitions can change in a moment's notice based on a vote within Congress. I understand that, but that's not their place to speak into it. Marriage is defined by God, and marriage defined by God is between a male and a female. That's marriage, and it's a covenant relationship because they're joining together. Mar marriage is not a contract of which you can exit out if things get hairy. This is why when, when couples get married, I, I discourage them from writing their own vows. Now, don't feel guilt and shame if you wrote your own vows. I'm not, I'm not getting on to you. Uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying I encourage them to stick with the vows that have been traditional in this sense, not because I'm a traditionalist in that sense, but rather because there's no clauses in those vows. For better or for worse, unless it gets really bad. For sickness and in health, unless this illness is terminal. We don't have those clauses within it, right? The vows are vows for a reason because you're covenanting with somebody. And so the meaning, the meaning of marriage is that God is the one who makes marriage. And so when they come and say, hey, can we get a divorce? He says, no, the meaning of marriage is that a, there's a male and a female, so that defines the parties, and then they're joined together. That's the meaning of marriage. They're covenanting together to say, I'm prioritizing you above my needs. We're one flesh. What happens to you happens to me. Where you go is where I'm going to go. This is the same kind of language that, that even Ruth had with Naomi, that Judah had with David that Israel had with God. Where you ever you go, that's where I'm going to go. That's, in essence, the meaning of marriage. It's a, it's a covenant. What's happened in our culture is I think we've just gotten really flippant about that covenant. Well, I've, I've fallen out of love. I don't feel like loving them anymore. And listen, friend, when we, when we start getting really honest, like all of us have been touched by somebody, either our own family or extended family or neighborhood or friendship circles that have been touched by that kind of a statement. And so Jesus looks at him and he says, look, there's one flesh, the covenant and so they come back with another question because they see Jesus has gone back to the book because he says to them, hey, have you not read? So he's telling them they already know this. So they say, well, <laughs> watch this. He says in the next verse, why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? They're quoting here from Deuteronomy chapter 24. They're thinking, oh, yeah, you're going to use the book? Oh, we're going to use the book. Is there not an allowance for me to be divorced? 
And Jesus understands their ploy. Jesus understands the Pharisees' tactics. They're trying to, to catch Jesus in a moment. And Jesus, Jesus says to them in verse 8, he says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. It, see, uh, Moses had written in Deuteronomy this, this clause for people to be divorced because it was rampant. It was chaos. It was like, and I, and I know things are different now, but when I was a kid and we had a substitute teacher, oh, it was a field day for us. Oh, yeah, our teacher lets us all go to the bathroom all at the same time. Oh, our teacher lets us talk during the test all the time. I mean, I, she didn't write that down in her notes. <laughs> right, the prisoners are going to run the asylum. That's what was going to happen when a substitute teacher comes. Now, I know things are different now. They've done a much better job, much more trained. But Jesus is saying, hey, Moses was in this experience, and it was just chaos. The hardness of your heart was so dark. People were abandoning their spouses without cause, giving all kinds of reasons, abusive in their tone, but also in their actions towards their wife. And so he begins to develop this certificate clauses, this clause to say, look, if there was a, a sense of sexual morality, you, you, can, you can get a divorce. Is there allowance? So he says, yeah, there's an allowance, sexual morality. When sexual morality is, is caused, then, then you can exit out. Or in, in 1 Corinthians 7, there's also this idea of, of abandonment that takes place. But I think what's happened in our culture is that we've allowed that to take preeminence to be, well, we're just, we're not reconcilable anymore. It's irreconcilable differences. But notice in the text, he doesn't say, if sexual morality has taken place, that you must get a divorce. He just says, hey, look, it's an option for you, but there's always grace, there's always forgiveness, and there's always redemption, no matter what hurt has happened in a relationship. And I think that's what's hard for us, is because we, we know, and we, 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 many of us have walked with individuals going through this, and it's heavy to go, oh man, this is really straightforward. But let me tell you why this is important for us. Where else are you going to hear the truth of God's word like this? And when we hear it, we're convicted to the core, we're broken over all that's happened, and it isn't, shouldn't be a cause for us to become angry or rude or mean to those that are walking through this, but rather to have great compassion. Why? It's what Paul says, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so we look at the brokenness and say, this is not as it should be. It's why Jesus says, it wasn't like that from the beginning. That's not how God designed it. That's not how God wants it for you. But the enemy, oh, that's what he wants. He, he wants there to be brokenness. He wants there to be hardship. He wants there to be a separating of the two. Why? Because marriage is a covenant that actually points to the better and greater marriage, which is Christ and his church. And the enemy, because he knows this, is going to do whatever he can to break up that which God has designed. And so because marriage, as he says in Ephesians 5, is a snapshot of Christ's love for his bride, what is he going to do? He's going to do all that he can to tear it up. So Jesus says, but it's not like that from the beginning. See, in this, in this post-fallen world, this is, this is what we see all around. It's just carnage and hardship and pain and suffering among all of us. We, some of you are sitting there and you're feeling the weight of this. But I would say to you, the Lord... The Lord has called you not to just carry that. He's called you to lay that down at his feet. And so he says, this is not the way it was from the beginning. I tell you, whoever 
divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another, he actually commits adultery. This is hard. I, I don't know many who would say, man, I cannot wait to preach this passage. In fact, the girls were asking that yesterday. Daddy, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, hey, gender, marriage, divorce, singleness, and kids. They went, ooh. And then one of them said, hey, on Wednesday at Rock 56, we actually talked about there only being two genders. I went, man, they're stealing my thunder. What's up with that? But the weightiness of marriage, this is why we, we want to take marriage serious. But So it causes this question in verse 10. His, his disciples, they're not... They're not dull. Here, look what they said. They, they said, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. Man, should I remain single? I mean, they said, look, if the, if the, if the marriage relationship is this serious, if it takes if this covenanting together, then I would just rather remain single the rest of my life. That was their response to what Jesus had said. And Jesus replies by saying, look, some are called to it. I know that in our culture, most get married. Most do, but not all. But he says, hey, there are some that God has, God, by their being born, they're created, they're eunuchs, meaning that they're, they're going to be celibate. They're not going to be engaged in a relationship, in a marital relationship. There's others by their choice or choosing to remain single. But either way, God has a plan for your singleness. Like, you're not less of a person because you're not married. Like, like I love Abby. I love my wife. I, I miss her tremendously. But she does not complete me. You understand that, right? I love her. She cooked a meal for us every, almost every night that she's been gone. I love her. She has detailed plan for us every day. What's happening today? I just have to read the instructions. Y'all think I'm joking. Pick up kids. Take them here. Put up lawn. Like, it's, it's there. I just got to read the instructions. She does not complete me. When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he completes you. Because if she completed me and she dies, then a part of me would die. So if you're single, you need to know God has uniquely placed you in the season to be used by him for his glory and your great joy. And you just revel in the fact that you get to serve him wholeheartedly. Before I was married, man, I could just sign up to go. Yeah, I'm going to go backpack in, in Taiwan. Yeah, I'll go. I got no responsibility, nobody that I've got to be accountable to other than my parents. And they're saying, go, be used by the Lord. I don't have to worry about kids or marriage or death certificates or anything. I don't have, I, I don't have a will. I don't have any money. But when you have a marriage and you have kids, there's a different weight to the decision. I mean, anytime I'm given the opportunity to travel overseas, that's the weight of it, of going, I trust you, Lord, with my life. But if, if this would happen, what, what would happen to them? That's why I get a good policy. That's why you have life insurance, right? Because you're trying to prepare in the event that something happens. Those things aren't bad. 
but there's a weight to it. So Jesus says it's not, it's not for everybody. He, he says not everyone can accept this, he says in verse 11, but only those to whom it's been given. So your singleness is a gift. This is why I love what the Lord has done. He has a plan for your gender. He has a plan for your marriage. Yes, if you've walked through a divorce, he even has a plan for you in your divorce. And he has a plan for you in your singleness. Why? Why? He tells us in the next text what to do with kids. Look what he says next. He says, they brought little kids. So they bring little kids, and the disciples think that they're better. They say, no, no, leave those kids away. Jesus didn't have time for this, but it was common for those that were, like, seen as teachers to lay their hands and pray over and to bless them. That was just kind of something they would do. This is why family dedication is what we do. But listen, the disciples understand the weight of marriage, and now they see all these kids coming and going, we don't want these kids around. But because you're made in the image of God, and because you've trusted in Christ as your Lord, you have a particular value in the eyes of God. So Jesus looks at these children, he says, no, 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 bring them to me. Don't shun them away, bring them to me. This is why we have ministries here for your whole family. We're one church, many generations, because we understand the value of your children being present. And so he says in verse 14, he says, no, 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 bring them to me. Why? Because to such as these, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. He's already said in chapter 18 that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the little children. And in some churches you'll hear whining about, well, they only care about the kids. Man, we care about all generations. Every generation matters here at Rock Hill. But you understand that we also have to invest in that coming generation? Or there won't be a Rock Hill? We care for you whatever life stage you're in. Literally this week, holding the hands of those that are dying. The weight and burden that we feel as pastors to walk with people in their death. And then to turn around and go, hey, we're rejoicing this baby is born? But he says, hey, it belongs to them. Let me just bridge this text for us briefly. This is why God does not abandon you in whatever situation or season you are in right now. He doesn't say damaged goods. He says, you're mine. You're mine. This is why I went to the cross, Jesus says. The Father says, this is why I sent Jesus to the cross. Jesus says to us, this is why I've sent the Holy Spirit to you. To help you know you are loved. Now, I know in a text like this, there's all kinds of other questions you might have. Lots of nuance, lots of what if, what about this, and what about this situation, what would you do? And we can't answer all of those in a time like we have today, but the reality is for each one of us, we have to realize God's love for you doesn't fail. His love for you doesn't run up because your situation in life fits some of what he has said here, but it's broken. If it did, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. 
but his compassion and his grace never runs out. And so for some in this room, you've been walking through a season of just great hardship. You need to know that by his grace that you're here today to hear a hard word because you may have questions for God like these Pharisees did. Jesus isn't afraid of your questions, but you might be afraid of his answers. But it's always going to be full of his grace. Let's pray together. Father, we come and we just thank you that you, you just don't lower standards. You, you just point out your, the, the standards that you've made in your word. God, we're asking that even today we would be kind and gracious and forgiving to one another. Lord, help us in a text like this that is weighty and heavy and hard to see how your grace shines through because you did not abandon your people. You say, bring them here. Bring my children near. And so, Lord, for those in this room that have been walking through seasons of hardship and pain because of some of the topics we discussed, that, Lord, we understand that it's not for us to just throw rocks at one another, but to say we all need and to be recipients of your grace. And when we're brought to our lowest point, that's when you can begin to build us back up into your grace. So, Lord, help us today to respond as you have so called us to do. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.